You're watching Badass Lady Folk. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. And if you're listening to our podcast on Radio Free Brooklyn or any number of other podcast platforms, I hope you eventually tune in to Manhattan Neighborhood Network where you can watch the video and see the show fully filmed and televised. We're also on YouTube, newly, but more episodes coming soon. Today, my wonderful guests are Alyssa Meadows and Melissa Joseph. And I was silly to book two rhyming names, so I'm really going to be articulating your first names today. But it makes it great because we won't forget each other's names. That's <laughs> right. Call me Alyssa. Every time I say my name, they're like, Alyssa? Same. Same. <laughs> Both of you are visual creators, visual artists, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you together today. But I'm also speaking to both of you because of the ways in which you work with photography. So... I'm going to give you like quickie impressions of your work, just my perception, what I know of your work, and then I'm going to let you speak for yourselves. <gasps> what an exciting story. Yeah, you get to use your voices. So Alyssa is a photographer, and from what I understand of your work, you make commercial work and journalism, but you also have personal creative projects. Mm -hmm. And some of them are more documentary and some of them are more conceptual. Mm -hmm. And you focus a lot on women's issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how would you describe your work, like, nutshell? I, I summarize myself as an activist artist and even with the commercial work, try to align myself with clients that are in that, that vein and to do work that matters no matter if it's the work for myself or work for other people. Um, the three main focuses, like, they're all within women's issues, but the three big feminist-based projects are Every Woman I Know, which is photographing every woman I personally know, which now I've met both of you. I hope you can't participate, but always available um, to photograph every woman I personally know who's a survivor of sexual violence. And then the second project I did was the female experience because... When the Me Too movement resurged, it was so many men's minds were blown about it. I was like, oh, they really just don't get it. Like, they really don't understand the daily commitment and, and like, little things we do to protect ourselves all day long, every day, the way it's an invasion of our brain on a regular basis. And so that is an exploration of that, like, trying to translate what it is to be in the world of women so that... You know, we as women will relate to it, and there's that experience of familiarity for us, but also to help men across the aisle kind of get a little more insight into what that world actually is like. And then the one I'm working on now that I've been developing for the last year, year and a half, is called Where Women Aren't As Free, and it's the ongoing battle for abortion rights in the country, and that's the documentary, documentary basis. Thank you. That was a lot, but so succinct. Yes. I tried really Good hard. Good job. <laughs> yes. Now, Melissa, I have only met over Zoom before, and this was for the Taxile Art Center. At that time, you were doing a residency, and you were, uh, as I recall, really focused on fiber work and working with family photographs. Mm -hmm. But now it seems, and maybe this has been the case that you've always worked across media, but I'm noticing now that you're working in ceramics and using found objects and probably other things that I have not <laughs> seen yet. Uh, but I, I'm really impressed with your beautiful felt work. Oh, thank you. 
you so much. Um, yeah, I, you know, felting, um, that was really lovely. Thank you. I started felting during that residency at the Textile Arts Center um, in the pandemic. And I had witnessed somebody sort of felting in the corner of my eye in the studio before the before COVID. And I was like, what is that? I want to do that. Um, and signed up to take a class, but COVID came and canceled it and I couldn't. So I just, during the pandemic, I said felting was my pandemic relationship. Like I just like started watching YouTube, started felting and then just haven't stopped kind of, you know, it's, it's really changed my life as far as like being a language and a vehicle to sort of work, um, work as an artist. But I think like what the work is about it's it's not felt um, like it's not relegated only to felt and it and it and it bleeds out, which I think is a big part of what my my work is is about. It's um, I think about how bodies are able to move through space based on phenotypes specifically, like being brown presenting American raised in a rural you know sort of town in Western Pennsylvania. It started to like yeah, and there's some things that you said that I want to go back to too because <laughs> I feel like yeah, this conversation I'm so excited about it. I I like there's so much nuance, and I think we're in this space in policy, like society and politics where we're trying to take these broad strokes to, to, to recover from uh, century-long erasures, right? And it's, it's great in theory, um, but it loses the nuance, and the nuance is where people really live, right? I mean, like, and so then you find, like, yeah, this thing's kind of helping me, but not really or maybe it's missing it ha it's missing like substance or like depth um and and i've been like struggling a lot with that and thinking about you know making kind of quiet work but raging inside you know and how do you um how do you i don't know like join these things i'm 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 always thinking about it and i i think i think through the materials like i find answers and questions in processes in working with these things. And I've found that when I'm not trying to make grand statements, I can have kind of these these breakthroughs about these nuanced experiences that are really challenging in and being at any of these intersections of, of being a woman, of being a person of color, of being a fiber artist, of being an artist at all, of being, um, you know, the rural versus cosmopolitan conversation that I half my life was pre-internet and half of it is post-internet. There's like all of these intersections that are so, um, that bring different things to the table and they just like smush together in the work in a way that's hard to explain, but just you feel, I hope. Yes, you have a very clear aesthetic for sure. And themes that certainly emerge, but I think uh, I'm very drawn to how your work looks first right yeah. and how it feels yeah. or how I imagine it might feel yeah. and when you're in the studio you're welcome to feel them I don't like they're they can't unfortunately like on display like in spaces like be be feely but yeah I think you know like that there's a familiarity and a softness or a beauty that is an access or an entry point for people and so if you can like help them enter into the thing then you can have the conversation about the thing so yeah so I would love to know why photography. In Alyssa's case, photography is the medium, right? And then in Melissa's case, photography is a source material. It is the archive. It, it's 
uh, motivation, driving concept in some ways, but material comes first when you're thinking and making. So why photography? How photography? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a funny, when I was in for pretty much the whole second grade on to about junior year of high school, it was marine biology. I was going to be working oh. with the manatees and rehabilitating and, you know, all that jazz. At the University of Miami. That's why I went there, yep. <laughs> and that is where my uncle, Robert Ginsburg, was a professor. <laughs> so I did notice that on your website. <laughs> yep, it's like, I, went, I finished at Penn State, but Hart stayed at Miami. Oh, it didn't. State. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was like, so much overlap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of you, Pennsylvania. That was just like an hour from where I grew up. Oh, there we go. <laughs> but um, I took a junior I, in junior year. I took a digital photography class, and that's when everything just exploded. And I didn't necessarily. It was funny in college. I was like, I'm not going to take pictures of people, and now that seems to be all I do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also interesting because I think photographers, and I'm curious if you've noticed this as well, that photography kind of gets relegated from the rest of the arts of like there's the photography wing whereas other mediums get shown together in more thematic spaces and it's not so well we're just going to put them them in the side wing over here <laughs> and I think through looking one artist in particular um Hank Willis Thomas's work I'm really using his I want to pick his brain at some point and figure out how he's diversified beyond photography and kind of escaped the the box of photographer and going back to the full scope of artist because now I'm getting to that place of there's projects in the work they're just not they're not released yet <laughs> he, they just released um so another podcast another amazing women podcast uh, Phyllis Hollis um, does cerebral women mm -hmm. and she just interviewed him literally the, it dropped today and I listened to it on my run and he talks about this and mm -hmm. he said he was hanging out with Nikisha Durrett when he was at NYU and she was at Cooper mm -hmm. and she's like you know what you call people who hang out with artists and he's like what and she's like photographers because <laughs> <laughs> he keeps saying over and over that he doesn't hang out like he was he didn't identify as an artist right mm -hmm. he was doing museum studies and then he was like studying photography whatever um but I think like if you like it sounds like from this interview I don't know him personally very well but like I think if you push him on it he like doesn't necessarily identify with that label of artist mm -hmm. in that in that way but he does on like he does talk about how photography um especially now mm -hmm. you know um is a way to kind of um, analyze objects and and things in time and critic and critically. Mm -hmm. I think like a, a friend of mine just did a, a BFA at SVA in photography too, and he is working in textiles and and other mm. things. Mm. But I think there's a really critical lens. I was talking to another friend. Jeez, I talk about this a lot. Yesterday, <laughs> who's also like so a many friends. No, <laughs> artists are so chatty. We're just like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and I, but I actually like can't talk about anything. But I used to be like a well-rounded person, and I could have conversations about things that weren't art and now that is not the case it's i like... just lost an earring sorry <laughs> oh, for anyone who's watching there's an earring i'm starting to like learn that a lot of these artist friends or like conceptual artist friends mm -hmm. have a photo background like they started in photo like um kambuyo lujimi and azikwe muhammad like they and they they started with photo as photographers and that's it's a it somehow feels to me to be a more critical place to start mm -hmm. in mm. in visual arts because you're analyzing things in a different way somehow. Um, and so Azikwe actually just recommended to me yesterday that I should take like a photo class, like a 101 oh, yeah. class, and just like revisit from 
from that lens. Uh, oh, that was so cheesy, but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's true though, because I think they, I think every medium you work with informs and influences the others, and that's why it's in your work as well. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, even the things that I'm working on that aren't pure photos still have photo basis. They still yeah. have photo tie-ins of like cutting negative space, and now I'm starting to play with sewing on the photos, and mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. So I'm excited to see more of your work in that. Let's get some tricks on, <laughs> on the textile side of things. <laughs> Anything I can, I'm happy to help. Um, but yeah, I, th- I agree. And I think like photo two, um, that's another one of these intersections where when I was a kid, everything were, 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 was film and was printed. Mm-hmm. And now like I, you know, to be, to have been alive when digital photo started is really interesting because the, uh, like the democratization and the dissemination of these images, it's like how many millions are uploaded every day to, mm-hmm. as content. Um, is insane to think about when you used to have to like take this little like 35 millimeter roll to like the Dwayne Reed or whatever and wait for an hour um, and get doubles so you can like give them away or cut them up. I think like um, like that they are such I don't if they're so tied you know inextricably to like identity and like and even just the politics of like my friends who don't have any photos from when right. they were kids right mm-hmm. they didn't have access either to the cameras or mm-hmm. just the images aren't there mm-hmm. um so there I, there's so many conversations i think around like the the arc like the idea of archive um that photos bring to the conversation yeah so how is it melissa that you came to possess all of these family photos yeah um it's interesting we used to have a cupboard where we kept them all um in in the house that i grew up in and i think this is also like a a condition of diaspora you know my dad came from India when he was a grown adult like in the 70s but his whole family stayed in India so nobody came here so we didn't have the family here we didn't have community here my mom is American Mm. and so we had those people on that side of the family in real life but you're constantly looking at these photos as your only way of um, you know knowing these people out of your family and I grew up in like a Catholic household. I'm not religious anymore. It's very important that I say that out loud because <laughs> critical matters. Um, I have a lot of, I think a lot of the problems. Anyway, um, but that's where I was raised. And so, you know, I'm learning about Bible characters, like fairy tale characters, and my long faraway family, like all at the same time. They're swirling around in my head. And I, you know, we just, always flip through these pictures. So I had them, but the house I grew up in burned down actually in like 2010. Mm. So a lot of them got lost. But I think it's because my mom was one of nine and my dad was one of eight. There's all these um, tangential pictures that other relatives have that are like the same event, but like a different star of like each of you know, yeah, different it, perspective. Like to yeah. Look at. Uh, so we've been able to recover like through grandparents who are no longer alive, but like through all those people, I've been able to recover like a little bit of an archive. But I think it also gen- like is like partly why I'm recreating this archive too, is because I lost mm. like a huge part of it. So. Ooh. Mm-hmm fascinating yeah (laughs) recreating well i I, that's one of the reasons why photography seems to be separated so often right because you have this quote objective tool this Mm -hmm. camera that can capture these things but we know so not we know how much we can manipulate the settings on a camera and then everything that can be done afterwards right fix it in post (laughs) yeah (laughs) say those words 
words to me. <laughs> yeah. those, those are scary words. Like bad that's words. That's like uttering Photoshop on her. Like, Shh, <laughs> don't. <laughs> so, Green screen this, blur that. <laughs> All right. A question I ask every guest, and there is a two-parter for the both of you, is... And this is almost an eye roll, but are you a feminist and do you identify as a feminist artist? Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I just sure I was, okay. Yeah, I, I definitely identify as a feminist. I've identified as a feminist since college. I actually ran a blog on Tumblr anonymously because I used that's how I found out. Like, that's where I learned feminism and started realizing some of my own problematic things growing up in rural Pennsylvania and all the slut shaming and all the stuff that we grew up with as girls and like the girl hate stuff mm-hmm. and started breaking it down through the she she was called the feminist historian was her tumblr handle That's amazing. and she was great and i loved her and then something happened and her blogs shifted to brave like the disney movie brave and it was just all brave and it was like but where'd all the feminist content go and i was like okay there's a hole i must fill <laughs> <laughs> and so i made mine and pretty much i had feminism and photography and they were kind of like trying like the Venn diagram just kept bouncing off itself and like I was like contrived done before not original enough not like not strong enough and then Trump got elected and it went (laughs) (laughs) and it became a circle instead of a Venn diagram it's just like oh I get it now I get I know I finally found the spark so I would did I answer both parts of the question so you also, uh, the reason I want to ask these questions mm-hmm. separately is because some people personally identify as feminists, right? Mm-hmm. But then they don't want their work to be called feminist art. Oh, no, it's totally fine to yeah. call my work feminist. I, I figure. I think there's that's the only most appropriate label to I put feel on like, it. Yeah, <laughs> I do too. And I also like am fighting for this concept of feminism being a synonym for equality. Because Thank it you. is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Let's just call it what it is. And then we don't have to get hung up on this bullshit. Sorry, am I allowed to say that on this? Thing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fine. Um, <laughs> like, I can't, like, <laughs> um, like, I, there's people are afraid to do it and, and to be called feminist. And it, I, I, so, yes, my answer is yes to both questions. And I think, like, 2016 was a really eye opening moment for me, too. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, we are going to allow someone who speaks about women and abuses women in that way. Like, we're actually, women are going to elect him. Yeah. Yeah, you that know was, that was the most that's disturbing like part. And the like, thing. as a white woman, I was like, "How are you? All of you white yeah. girls, what are you doing? <laughs> what the like, actual? Like, I can't." And yeah, so so yeah, but I do have. There is this like whole older generation of women who are like adamantly like not feminist and yes. don't want to be called women artists or like feminist artists. Um, which I, you know, fine. I can I can accommodate people's desires for labels. It doesn't hurt me most yeah, of the time to purpose. do that. But it does, it is like dissonant to me to think about the fact that the, they were even artists. Like women who are in their 80s now. Mm-hmm. If they're active practicing artists and were collected, you know, regularly through their lifetime, they were feminists. Like they, <laughs> they wouldn't be artists otherwise, right? And so... Right. Like it just the math, it doesn't add up. But whatever, I will I will say fine. I don't need to call them that. But I'm happily like happy to wear that label and hat like all day. So. I think there's still a big breakdown in not just within the art world, but people still have too much of the incorrect association of what the word feminist means. And to speak to where your work goes, I think it even 
is still inhibiting getting further ad- along the conversation of because I wouldn't just identify as a feminist artist. I'm very like very critically making sure it's intersectional feminism, not white girl feminism, yeah. because it gets you know even within the subsex gets so removed from all the white like all the white girls focusing on the white girl issues instead of the broader picture of the whole scope of it. Yeah, and I think when we can start getting the word feminist broken down and be more recognized and understood for the true definition of the word, then we can start opening the conversation up even more and breaking down the problematic aspects within the feminist yeah. bubble. And I think like something you mentioned early on when you were describing your practice and like one of the series that you're doing when you talk about how men sometimes like don't understand. <laughs> I, I <laughs> rarely understand. <laughs> even I, the ones trying. Even oh, the ones yeah. trying. So this bad. is like where I feel like a monster because like I will I like, I also am like I'm an m- emotional person. I I you know I'm working on it, but I will be like, you know, like that's my and, and I've like I've walked away from tables. I've lost friends. I've like you know I just like it's like this weird anything could trigger it, and I feel bad for the person. I am like a, full of like landmines when it comes to this. I can't help it. But like even people who are so kind and like sweet and really trying and maybe even like have daughters and you know and they're you know they feel like I'm trying to do you know and and you're like but like you know uh I guess I have to use like a real life example like they someone said they were telling another friend who was a female a male a female like to um that they needed to advocate for themselves more they needed to speak up for themselves more and ask for what they want a hundred percent true but like somehow the like missing acknowledgement of what that means for a woman to have to do that like and also the importance of allyship. Of yeah. Like, we can stand up for ourselves, but if it's a misogynist who's talking to us, there's only so much listening space, whereas if they're confronted by an ally they identify with, yeah. they're going to listen to the man say, no, oh, don't yeah. talk to her like I, that. I have always yeah. appreciated male friends and acquaintances who have quietly asked me, hey, I know you want this. Do you want me to ask for you? Because mm-hmm. sometimes I do ask, right? Right. I am standing up for myself, <laughs> and I'm still not being listened you're to. You're still not being listened to. Maybe you're being called difficult right. or hard to work right. with or, mm-hmm. you know, all these other things that we have to consider. Like, yes. Bossy and bitchy. Yeah, right. bossy, Assertive. bitchy. Yeah. yeah. And we can't, like, yes, we still need to ask, but we also have to consider those things. Like, they're not separate. It's right. like... I can't use these things as a crutch or, like, as a reason to not try to do the things that I want to do. But I also have to acknowledge them at the same time, that these are things that are I'm fighting and that I'm dealing with and pushing back at me all the time. And like you said, it's like the thing you said earlier, like this thing that it's like a constant brain, like, like virus that's just, like, in your There's mind There's so much bandwidth we lose on a regular basis because we're consumed with making sure we don't get murdered, make sure we don't get raped, making sure we don't, you know, there's... Yeah. there's there's a lot of thoughts that go on that you can't have other thoughts. You can't you can't get beyond those thoughts sometimes because it's like you're walking home and it's that 25 minute walk home could be a whole like brainstorm session with myself. But instead, I'm like somebody behind me. Yeah, somebody behind me. I totally. <laughs> I can only have. To, yeah, no, it's totally true. Or like I can't take the train. Like mm-hmm. I have to. Like you know, I I these are just these are things like you know. God forbid we sleep on the train like the men on the train. <laughs> How do you think some of these concerns, having female bodies and being in the world, have impacted your creative careers? Like, I know I personally have not gone to residency spaces late at night 
unless someone I trust is there, there's a security camera, all these factors are in place, right? Yeah. So what about y'all? For me, I just walk around with a knife all the time, <laughs> quite honestly. And it's great because it's a Leatherman, which if any police officer stops me, I'm like, it's a tool for work. No, no questions asked, but I know I have a knife and I also always have a lighter because set them on fire. <laughs> oh my. So that's kind of, I'm, I'm very much like, I've already been assaulted before, not on a, in a street situation um, with like back, the back alley stereotype that we all think of sexual assault as. But once, once you've experienced things, you kind of just, I feel like after a certain point, you just take the initiative to be like, I'm not going to let that happen again and I will be prepared for it. And you can't. I don't let it stop me, but that doesn't mean it doesn't Effect. eat at my eat at my awareness on a regular basis. Going to the I, I yeah. go everywhere I need to go, and people think I'm crazy for it because um, I like I hike alone, I camp alone when I'm doing the because when I'm doing the abortion project and every woman I know, I'm going and sleeping in my car, and people are like, "You sleep in your car with all the truckers," and I'm like, "Yes," and they're fucking creepy, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I have a knife and a hammer and a hatchet. Like, wow, yeah, I so, mean, so wow. But but luckily I haven't had to use any of it. But that's that's my uh, well, and, yet. and I yeah, think exactly yet. <laughs> and you touched on something there, which is like a lot of the damage and uh, that is done to women is actually like at home, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. in these like familiar environments, whether it's emotional or physical. Like it's it's done, it's like when we are have our guard down or when we should be safe. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to to protect against it and it's hard it, and and so yeah i understand the impulse a hundred percent to to do that like i i i forget what the question was but like i just i hate going to hearing spaces, these stories does it limit you oh going out in the world in yeah. the art world yeah or or even uh with anything else <laughs> yeah <laughs> in terms of buying supplies, mounting exhibitions, uh, speaking to curators, working with art professors, visiting schools, any of these situations where as professional artists and as women, you have to take so many things into consideration that if you were a male artist, you probably would not think about. Yeah, I think it, I, I just, it, it bleeds so much into like every action. Art or non-art. I mean, I mean, I think I think being women artists is a radical act. I've said that before, and I think you know because statistically, it we shouldn't be able to be here. I mean, like, it's abysmal the numbers, and it does, it just doesn't, it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. So, you know, I think it's important. I think staying active and continuing to like work toward these things that we hope to see or wish we could see or just that we want to do just like having dreams and then pursuing them or goals and pursuing them is you know I'm always thinking about it I know if I were a man making textile work mm -hmm. it would be like people go crazy over men making textile work right like it's like oh my god have you ever seen a quilt before he's so because in touch with his feminine I know like I'm like oh my god yeah so right and then like but then um beyond that it's like people are like there's a study they did um and I can't remember when um 
aware. So this is like something one depressing. of those somebody told but me. But it's in your brain. It's, it's in my in brain. There. I can look it up and Sad probably find statistics somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? This that old chestnut. Um, it's that people devalue work as soon as they think it's made by a woman. So they did a blind study and they told people like a man made this and a woman made this, mm. and they value it less and people will say like I experience these things where people like they go like oh I can't afford it or oh I, I um you know oh that's like so expensive and my work is like I mean it obviously we're talking about like the fine art world and this is a luxury commodity at this point but mm-hmm. compared to other people making work the size of mine my work is cheap right and um and so they like it's just like this thing that you know and you see it as, as you go all the way all the way all the way up and like that someone will pay this much for a Van Gogh and this much for a Julie Maretu. And it's the, like, it's like, what is going on here? Like, I don't, I just, I, and <sighs> controversial <laughs> statement alert. No, I love it. Here for it. Like, women artists are so fucking good. Like, like that, they're what's so. What's controversial about that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty Not objective. <laughs> I think any man would say that very confidently and not feel the need to disclaim that. So. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Male artists are so good. <laughs> but, I mean, Some are. But I'm glad you brought up that point, though, because that's actually why my Instagram handle is what it is. It's A Meadows. I intentionally don't have, and that's why my website is A Meadows, because I don't want you to know it's Alyssa right away. Yeah. I didn't know, like, thank you for teaching me something in this because I didn't know it's an automatic devaluation of the work. But there is that, like, attempt to gently do a slight erasure of dead giveaways because, you know, we know the resume studies of if it's a woman's name versus a man's or or a, a writer, like an ethnic name. Like oh, a very of course. Eth- like, yeah. strong indicator of ethnicity name yeah. versus, like, Jose versus Joe and how the resume yeah. does significantly better. Yeah. So... You know, there are those little self, almost like self microaggressions of, against our, our own identity to make sure it's not used against us by somebody else. And that's almost like bringing up microaggressions is interesting because like it's kind of like that's what it is. It's like um, I, I feel so on edge because it's so many like small things like they just and they it's it's it's, it's endless. It's mm-hmm. endless. It's 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 a comment here. It's a look here. It's a devaluation here. It's a. I don't know, an assumption here. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, you, you, you're you losing so much valuable space and time and and self in, in these, like, attempts to defend against it. Um, yeah, yeah, so how do you take up space? How do you dream? How do you dare to make things and put them out into the world? I've just accepted that if they like it, they'll like it. And if they don't, too bad. I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> and, like, with the abortion with the, the abortion project, I, I antagonize them back. I use my camera as a weapon. I'm like, I'm going to get right in your face. So could you describe more <laughs> yeah, what that project that, yeah. is? So online I saw photos from a Planned Parenthood or of a Planned mm-hmm. Parenthood in Texas. Are there yeah. more photos? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, it, it has, because when I started it, I was actually on the road with some commercial work, and the Texas ruling came out. And we were in Louisiana at the time for the one, because it was going to different colleges with this photo company. And I was like, well, I have to drive from Louisiana to El Paso anyway. 
and I have a couple days, so we're just going to do some some stopping along the way and document it. And what was really interesting were was that some were already gone, and it was like a week later. You know, it wasn't even that long, and one was already gone. And so I did Texas, and I did a New Mexico clinic then as well to try to see what was happening with the overflow, right? Yeah. The, the, the spillage that's happening yeah. now with women, you know, going from Texas to Louisiana and, and then, or, um, I mean, yeah, and then Louisiana over to Mississippi. Like, it, it's it's this cascade effect that's happening yeah. now. So I started it that way, and then I, I was on the road again working on every woman I know when the SCOTUS leak. Which is the sexual survivor uh, yeah. project. Yeah. Right. yeah, so, and and the the Supreme Court ruling leak happened while I was on the road, and I was like, well, fuck, I guess I have to start doing the whole fucking country now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so on the way home, Sadly, I, yeah. yeah, I just started going, I just, I, I built a Google map and tracked every single clinic across the whole country. I look like a neurotic human being, and I kind of am, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just was like every, I, I built the whole map out and just looked for every single clinic that was on my route on the way back and hit more Texas clinics, the one clinic in Mississippi that is now gone, um, New Orleans and Baton Rouge, um, just did Chicago. Haven't done it here yet or Pennsylvania, but that's going to be the next the next step to explore how our our home state is becoming the new battleground state because it's they're coming for us and yeah. we know it. Yeah. And they're trying to act like, oh no, Pennsylvania's fine, you're good. And we're like, we know what's up. This is mm. just like when you told us this wasn't gonna happen at all. Yeah. And just to have a little rant for a second, yeah. I'm so angry. <laughs> I'm still not over it. I don't think I ever will be. How everybody when the twenty sixteen election happened, I was screaming at the top of my yeah. lungs, it is not about Trump. It is about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And if yeah. you do not understand that, you have your head buried in the sand. And every what was the word they all use for us? Hysterical. Hysterical. <laughs> Our favorite. Yeah, because yeah. that's not super sexist to use as a word with its yeah. etymology and mm-hmm. all that jazz. But to have to sit back and go, we told you, we fucking told you five, six years ago yeah, that was this clear. was going to happen. Was and now they're doing it again. Of, But your state's safe. But your state's fine. No. Those, they're not going to get <laughs> you here. And it's like, if you really are going to repeat the same mistake again, you're dumber than you think you are. Like. Please get with it, and for the love of God. Yeah. No, but this is where we need people to understand feminism as equality because they don't, like, <clears throat> the impetus to control women's bodies mm-hmm. is, like, it's it's just, like, it's, like, the gateway, right, mm-hmm. to, like, total totalitarianism. I mean, there's, like, no, there is no stop, break. Like, I think, like, I don't understand how, and I really don't because I, I haven't studied, like, social science like like um anthropology or sociology like i don't understand necessarily like the large the large picture about socio cultural movement i just witness it and cringe most of the time mm-hmm. but like i um like for me and i'm someone who doesn't have like crazy foresight or critical like understanding of these things it's very clear to me that if you start to police bodies then it never ends Mm -hmm. right it never ever ever ends and I think like I so now people are being surprised about like what's happening with critical race theory in schools or like LGBTQ rights being taken where people not like first amendment rights being taken away and not like and it's like 
it's absolutely 100% tied to abortion. Mm -hmm. So if you if you didn't understand that, like, I'm sorry <laughs> for you because you could have been helping us fight harder for this. Um, but, like, it doesn't stop. It, it's going to be, like, yeah, like, we're not so far from some of these countries. Like, Iran used to be, like... Persia was cool. Like, <laughs> just look at how quickly in what the span of two years, Afghan women have gone from being very yeah. not, not that equality was met there, yeah. but they've went from up here all yes, the way the down there, changed. and how right. just how fast. And watching what's happening in Iran, the same thing. Yeah, it's it's fucking insane, and I can't like, I'm I'm tired. I. I feel like helpless and hopeless sometimes. I like it there's no it just doesn't make any sense. It's like what what is even happening? I don't know. I I don't know what to do about it except rage. Well, and there's also I think there's also the point of education because I was like it was probably 2 3 years ago. It's not common knowledge. It's not what we're educated on that women couldn't have their own bank accounts until the 1970s. Yeah. And now or so, their own passports. So exactly I didn't know that one. Thing. Well, women in the US could have passports before, but like in mm -hmm. India when my dad came in the 70s, women still couldn't have their own. Okay. Passports. And and that I think there's this like People wanted to think women had more freedoms earlier than that because if we had Martin Luther King early before the seventies, why would women be so far behind in their minds? Is is the the thought process? And it's when you think about oh, my mom was in her twenties in the seventies. So for me, it's like we're really the first generation growing up with much more full autonomy. Because and I think that's why abortion is becoming such a battleground space because men are realizing. Oh, if we don't trap women into being financially dependent and capable of, of building their own lives without us, they won't put up with our shit. And they don't <laughs> like us enough to be with us. Because what are they saying? Women are ruining the like the institution of marriage now. And and it's all I think it's all stemming from the realization that boys have to change their methods, but like men have to grow up and, and start really putting forth equality if they want to have a female, you know, for straight men, if they want to have a female partner that that stays with them. And because I know I have very, very strict limits on what I'll put up with in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the whole system, right? I mean, you it started is. by mentioning little boys and mm -hmm. it, it starts there. And unfortunately, I'm not saying a 75 year old man shouldn't change his ways, mm -hmm. but when someone gets to a certain age, it's not so likely that they're going to yeah. reverse some of their ideas. Well, and, like, I don't know if you guys read that book, Invisible Women, but, like, it's so baked into not just, like, the, the mental, like, schemas that we have, but, like, even the physical schemas, like, the size of this microphone, the size of mm -hmm. and height of a doorknob, like, the dosing for medication, seatbelts, everything yeah. is built for like a standard whatever that calls male. like male body mm -hmm. um and so you know it it <sighs> is that something that you find even working with various textile tools or are those more designed really for female interesting bodies? right um probably i would imagine yes they are but i don't i haven't done research on yeah, that yeah, yeah. um um but i had like i built a table my like I, I designed a table for my own body and asked mm -hmm. a friend to build it um and then yeah like the needles the wool yeah but the other tools um yeah probably I mean it's 
it's just something that's like it's so embedded it's so ingrained and in into things that that again it feels like it would be very easy to like do medical trials on men and women but a lot of the scientists including sometimes women are like but we can't use the women as much of a control because their hormonal changes like make it more difficult to know what the like right what is the where's the impact coming from and stuff like that and um you know like that kind of stuff which is insane but that was also like a racial thing too it's funny i just had this like conversation yesterday so it's all fresh in my mind I, I have <laughs> another one of your friends oh, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> no but i did want to have you melissa answer the question of how do you keep creating? How do you keep going? You're yeah. so prolific. Why? How do you find the energy? Aren't you just exhausted and sad all the time? <laughs> yes, I am. I am. I am. Um, I am exhausted and I am I'm angry and I'm sad. And but like if I don't do anything, it doesn't change either. Exactly. Right. So like it's either I get up and I go to the studio or I get up and I jump in front of a train because, mm -hmm. like, I can't I can't get up and just not do anything at Using all. that anger um, and sadness as fuel yeah. instead of just burning yourself up inside. Yeah, and I think, like, there, it's I can't just think that it's – nothing is all good or all bad, including this, like, right? Like, this is happening, and these are, these are true, true things in my view of, like, the state of things. However – um, you know, there are beautiful things happening in the world. Yes. Too, right? And, like, those things are inspirational. And so, yeah, like, it, you know, there, it's finding the way to kind of balance and, like, um, find a way for them to, like, coexist and, like, figure out a path of existence and meaning in between them a little bit. And so that's what the practice is for me, you know, and I can do <clears throat> do this work that I hope is meaningful but then the work itself, like, you know, I've, I'm starting to, like, this is this is the first year that museums are starting to, like, acquire my work. And so, like, that's a thing. Thanks. It's, like, they're, they're having a space. They're having, like, a, a, an institutional space, a space that has historically been denied to, like, like, imagery like that and people like me. And right now, I think most museums, like, if you go, like, across the country, right, like, 85% of the work is by men. And then of the 25% that's not by men, like, 3 to 4% is women of color. Mm -hmm. So, like, the numbers are still really, really tough. So that's, like, you know, these kinds of things are drivers for me. I know that I'm able to be doing what I'm doing. I love my practice so much. Like, what a gift to, like, have this be my life, right? So these kinds of things, I have to also honor those, the joys and, like, the, the, the gifts of that life has in addition to these other super shitty truths um but i am here because people before me were like doing work like me and not getting visibility not having platform not having the space or anybody looking or buying the work <clears throat> and so even though it looks like in the rest of like because i'm half dead so like looking at the, <laughs> my lifespan um like it's not going to change that much before i'm out of here and but like hopefully there will it the work I'm doing will make space um, before we become Iran um, for the next like generation. Right. Like I hope I hope that because I know some of the women who 
whose shoulders I'm standing on. And some I don't, but like, you know, and I'm so grateful to them that the work that they did, thankless work with no, with no, well, with like the reward of, of like their communities and, and friendships and, and, and knowing that they built something that we could grow, but, um, but without the, without the actual like recognition that they deserved. Right. Which leads me to my next question is how have other women supported you? And this is a chance to shout out any relatives, teachers, professors, friends, whomever. I mean, every woman I know is all the women in my life. And genuinely, I would have no... I am woman number one in the project because I didn't feel right asking anybody else to participate if I didn't know what it was like to go through the process myself. I thought it was only fair. But that would just be a single self-portrait and we'd be done. And, mm-hmm. and it's it, there is no project without all of the other women and, and hearing their stories and having their voices contribute. And they are now collectively we're we're working on things together figuring out how to have a support network how to affect the legislation um so i would i would be thanking all the women in my project and just that that's probably the biggest focus i have personally i don't don't know about you yeah um there's a lot you know, there's I like, have, are we going the ones we don't know? Like I political know, figures? Right? Like, thank you, Ruth, for yeah, fighting for us back then. Thank you, Ruth. Just <laughs> I wish you didn't die. Yeah. I have, like, I have 11 aunts. Um, and they're like all powerhouses in different ways. But it's also just been like a really good, um, I don't know, what's it called? Um, influencer or something i'm sorry i'm like i'm having like a weird brain moment but no um, no it's all right they also (laughs) gave you so many photos i know i know um i think um there are so many you know there's an artist here in the city jay sri abachandani who's been like working like curating um she i've heard people say to her like i didn't know i could be like an indian or south asian i think um like artist until i saw you doing it like you know like so that that was like i think she's been a big one i had a i had a nun that was a piano, uh, my art teacher in in pennsylvania um and she's still alive she's like 90 um and she's like this big and um <laughs> she like let me be an artist you know so um I think nuns man <laughs> that's hey, another some podcast of them, that's, some of them are incredible that's but. another podcast yeah uh this one this one was was really great and uh her name is sister Mary James and she's in Bakerstown now um because they had to close the convent that was in the town where I grew up um but my mom and my si- my sister um, like my sister is one of these people who the best thing the universe ever did was give me a registrar as a sister because like my brain is a train wreck and hers is very organized. It's like <laughs> so, um, and she just like is such a great like support. So like she she's been she's been great. My mom like I you know. Yeah, I don't, and my I have a best friend that I've had since I was two years old. I have to tell you, precious. I wrote my college application essay about her because um, if you have a friend like that, like a ride or die, mm-hmm. you get so much freedom. There's so mm-hmm. much freedom that comes from the support, and so then from her, I would like extrapolate to like 
the the women strong women friendships that I continue to cultivate you know um, that are so important because I think we do need this we need this community of people who can relate to these issues and understand when we're having these meltdowns or these frustrations or these like fits of anger or sadness um, and so yeah like Shelly was my my is my best friend and then just like other I yeah I have like an army of <laughs> amazing strong amazing women that I you know reach out to on a regular basis um, and I'm grateful for her all the time yeah I think like that's the only way through the only way to yeah. do this so what sort of support would you like to see more of for female artists in New York City I think it starts from the top down. If there's not enough leadership in the arts that are women, because when you asked that question, I was like, well, all my mentors have pretty much been men, whether it's high school, college, post-college. Um, the, the trade associations I belong to are predominantly male. Um, and they're, not to say there aren't women in those spaces and that they're not badass ladies, like my friend Sherry and my friend Francis and my friend Julie. But there, there's... there's I feel like there's still not enough female curators mm-hmm. in general. and, and Well, I, they're just not in those high, high positions. Mm-hmm. Like, can the Whitney find one more white dude yeah, exactly. to run shit? Honestly, <laughs> like, I'm so... What the... F- anyway. Um, there are millions of women spaces. curators that are amazing. But yeah, like, gallery ownership. Exactly. I can it, we need more gallery ownership. We need more women, like directing and like being chief curators in these spaces and there have been some but the problem is it's not about some it's about 50 50 like if you're going to curate a show it's and it's a group show half of the artists should be women identifying like that's like that's it it's so easy it's so easy it it, if you're going to have a residency half of the participants should be women identifying half of the teachers half of the instructors half of the mentors should be women identifying it if you look at like the breakdown of C-suites, it's not happening. It's it's not. Well, and it's, it's also in that space of I feel like especially in male dominated fields, it's like they just find one woman and then she <laughs> becomes the famous one and then it's like, mm-hmm. "Okay, we met our, our woman quota." Yeah. Because like everybody knows Annie Leibovitz, but other female photographers You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it it's and it doesn't matter if it's Megan Rapino and Mia Hamm. Like I was just having this conversation with my friend because she was she, my friend Nicole finds all these really good erasures of women from history, and she's been sending me these, these clips of like female drag racers and female race car drivers, and she's like, "Why aren't there stories about them?" I'm like, "Cause once they have one, they're done." And that's <laughs> they're like, "Okay, we did this." That's what they do. Like literally, when Nikon did a campaign, this is this is legitimately the reason I stopped using Nikon. I was like, "I'm done with you. Done. I'm selling my Nikon." Equipment. I also don't even like my Nikon. No, by the no, way. I like Canon better. Like, no, I'm a Sony gal now, and to, and because Sony actually supported the 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 genesis of every woman I know, so I'm oh, like ride or die Sony now. Okay. Because <clears throat> Nikon, because Nikon, Nikon also sold me two lemons in a row, and then they, then oh, talking about sexism, they implicated that I didn't know how to use my camera. Ooh, I'm like, I did your fucking. Pe- they they told me to do this test with a cup and all these pencils. Did you in turn it, it off and, and turn I, it back on? Yeah, they literally <laughs> did like they they tried to implicate I didn't know, and I was like, I did the test you told me to do. It proved exactly what I told you is happening, and you still are implicated that I don't know how to use my camera? Are you fucking kidding me? And that, so I was, I was already pissed, to yeah. be fair. But then they did this campaign of, it was either 40 or 41 masters in photography. I think it was 41. And part of their excuse at the time was that it was the Asia-India market, as if that somehow makes it okay. 
40 male portraits, oh my God. one woman. And they sat there and looked at it and nobody noticed that there was an imbalance. I, I know, like, that's the thing. No one, I don't, how is yeah. no one checking? Yeah. How is no one checking this stuff? Yeah. Like, and I, I called, I tagged them on Instagram. I was like, hey, guys, and like, total crickets. crickets. <laughs> I was like, you don't need any more. I'm done with you. Over. Yeah. Canceled. <laughs> no, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, it, it really, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's discouraging, to say the least. Yeah, and, and I think, like, the, yeah, so what would we like to see? We would like to see equality mm-hmm. so like, besides right? having more women in these spaces in these positions of power what do you want from the male leaders who are already there what Retire. sort of support Retire. <laughs> go <Down. laughs> true allyship real allyship so what does that because mean? i think a lot of men there's a certain trade association that i will never be a part of again for this reason because everybody loved to talk the talk. <gasps> our next female president. Our next female president. And then, because they loved my feminist rage when it was outward at the world and being like, yeah, go, girl, go. But as soon as I turned it inwards on the leadership and I was like, there's some really big issues internally here about not taking sexual violence stuff seriously, not, you know, abuse of female interns, things of that nature. And it ultimately landed with them turning me into the scapegoat and throwing me under the bus and saying things like they they said I said things I didn't even say. And they tried to turn me into a white Karen when it's like, motherfuckers, I am the loudest about intersectional issues. (laughs) And I am like, I, you know, I fight like the fact that it was such a blatant trying to spin it, you know, that that there's a lot of men like to do the lip service. But when it actually comes down to it, like those same men who gave me the lip service also turned me around and said, what happened to you wasn't rape. Jeez. And I'm like, you think you're in a position to tell me whether or not that was rape? I know what it was. I decide that. That's not up to you. You listen and you accept. That's it. And the fact that it got spun so severely and they're still friends with that person says a lot about how far the industry's whether photography or the art world in general, because I don't think, I think you could experience that just as much in the textile bubble as I could in in the photo bubble. I don't think it's a photo-specific problem at all. Yeah. So. And I think, like, you know, it's hard to say what we need to have happen. Like, you know, what we need is education, and we need it, Mm. like, across the board, but people aren't really investing in education. Like, there's, there's people who are, like, clearly benefiting from not other, from not having people that are, that are well-versed in, like, these things and these concepts and, and these conversations and they're also not easy conversations to have in an increasingly polarized space like echo chamber space um there are fewer spaces where you can actually find people with differing opinions like living together and having a conversation um i, I think you know we really are siloed and I, so it's I, I i wish i knew i wish i knew um i think like you know People talk about you just keep doing this, living like your authentic life, saying your authentic thoughts, and um, sometimes on TV and radio. And then <laughs> <laughs> you never know where it will go. Sometimes it's like, you know, um, but yeah, I think it's like a, it's gonna, I, I it didn't just start, like, it didn't just come overnight and it won't go overnight. I can't say I'm hopeful of her be gone but I would love to think it could one day be gone that we could be be 
we could have more systems in place. I think, you know, places like Project Empty Space are trying to do stuff like that are that are productive, that are calling attention. They have a badass women awards dinner. Um, I think like um, places like a AIR, Air Gallery, Residency, Fellowship, like those kinds of places are trying to like make spaces like that. But I think what can happen is we need mainstream to be in those spaces too, right? It's great that those things are happening and that those things are existing, but we, we need the overlap of like the mainstream with those things so that that's where the education happens. And if it's not happening, then I it's harder for that. Um, like we don't have a women's museum here. There's the National Women's Museum in DC, but why don't we have one here in New York? Right. <laughs> like the contemporary art hub. <laughs> yeah, seems like could, could we could fill it. <laughs> we are we are running low on time, and I did just want you to quickly plug any projects you have going on, talk about what you're excited about these days before we wrap up. You go first. All right, yeah, go think first. about it. Okay. <laughs> um, I have a solo show coming up in October, October 27th at Margot Samuel Gallery in Tribeca, so I'm very, very excited about it. It's called Irish Exit. Um, and then... Um, I will be doing a residency in San Antonio next year early called Art Pace that I'm excited about. So, um, so yeah, so those, those things are on the horizon, and hopefully I'll have some more things to share you know, in the future. But they're the big things that I'm working for. And these are for fiber-based projects or other types no, of No, just work? mix, mix. There's always going to be fiber if I'm around. So. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Alyssa? Oh, that's why I let you go first, because I, I forgot. I'm in an exhibition right now, too, so thank you for Amazing. reminding me. <laughs> called Dark to Dark and Lightly. That's over in Long Island City right Audra. now. You know Audra. Yep. <laughs> and that's that's how I know Natalie. Um, well, I knew her before that, but that's where we saw each other recently. And She's and great. Yeah. Natalie Bravo was the one who recommended Alyssa to me for this project because we both went to the City College of New York and we showed at the Queen's Botanical Garden at the same time. And I love her Argentinian. If if you're not familiar with her work, I'm going to plug Natalie for a second because we give her all the credit today. Um, She has a project based on cyanotype work that are repre- she makes these flowers that are representative of femicide oh. all the femicides in one year in Argentina and it's just the most beautiful that's oh what she, that's where she and I originally connected and it's such a beautiful project that's beautiful. Um, but her other work is also in the show with me in in Long Island City and uh, and just a general one thing I've noticed with every woman I know is while I love the theme and the pr- approach I've taken with it I didn't realize when I started it how healing it was going to be for the participants as well as for myself because they share their story with me, I share my story with them and there's this like this lightening of spirit and soul that happens from getting it off your chest. And while I love it being every woman I know personally, um, that also limits how many women have access to that healing. So mm-hmm. I now am planning on opening it up in the future and making it Come to me. Tell me you want to participate. If you want to be in that space, I'm here. I'm on Instagram. You can email me. You oh, can wow. Definitely. Me. And all I'm the there. contact info will be in the show credits. Perfect. That is all the time we have. Yay. Thank you so much, Melissa Joseph and Alyssa Meadows. <laughs> I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. You've been watching Badass Lady Folk or listening. You can do both. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.